Welcome to the Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast. Every week we discuss a movie and then one of the podcasters suggests the next movie for us to watch and discuss. All the movies are available from the major streaming services so you can participate with us. I'm your host, Dale Maxfield. I'm joined by Alicia Walker. Hello. Brooke Merritt. Hi. Josh Dean. Hello. Nathan McKinney. Hi there. And Zach Rowland. Hey! And today we are discussing Colossal, which was Zach's suggestion. Uh, mm. But before we do that, let's talk about what we've been watching lately. Brooke, why don't you start? What have you been watching lately? I am continuing my stretch of watching older movies that I hadn't seen in a while. Uh, Clue, which is an old favorite that I had not seen in many years. Got to watch that one. Um Pretty much know that one by heart, so that wasn't, you know, much of a surprise. I did rewatch American Werewolf in London, which I haven't seen since I was really young. A uh, couple of new movies I hadn't seen before. Um, not catching up on a lot of TV. I finished up the most recent season of Killing Eve from BBC, and it's, it's a great show. I think I've talked about it before. I don't know, but uh, I was a little bit behind, and I did catch up and finish the season. Me too. Um, Joe. It's it's a great season, great show. I love it. Jodie Comer is as Villanelle is probably one of the best characters on TV. I just I love her. I think she's hysterical, and you know the costumes themselves are a character. I love seeing what she's gonna wear. Uh, so yeah, I love that show. It's great. It's great. Um, new show I watched on Hulu. It's Taste the Nation with uh, Padma Lakshmi from. Um, Top Chef. She has a new show that's a travel food show, but it's based around immigration and uh, kind of showcasing how internationally our our uh, food is influenced here. Uh, and you know, of course, it's very timely with the uh, immigration discussion and and kind of putting a face um, to to a lot of the cultural issues. So, really, an interesting interesting food show. So, that's all I got. I finished watching The Reckoning. Um, which I think I talked about on the last episode. It's a very, very weird show. Um, and it has a very weird ending. The ending is basically something that the audience has known forever and the characters just figure out. And instead of that happening in like the second act of the story, it's the very last thing that happens on the show before the credits roll forever on the limited series. So, um, that was a thing. Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't really know if I can recommend it. Um, it's seven and a half. Seven and a half hours. I'll never get back. Uh, <laughs> I finally watched the Downton Abbey movie, uh, which I just didn't care enough to see it in the theater, and then I wasn't in a big rush to see it. But I was like, eh, I kind of need to watch this, and it was fine. I think the actual show finale was just fine too. Um, like they didn't make any huge mistakes or do anything to kind of sour people on what they already liked about it. And the movie I think is, is even more safe that way where it's like, we really don't want to make a bad final impression. So we're just going to kind of keep it light and fluffy and, keep everybody happy in it so um i had never watched the show but i saw the movie in theaters when my wife wanted to go see it and i actually enjoyed it even having never seen the show yeah i mean the show is it's not it's not like crazy like this but the show has almost like a game of thrones style killing characters thing going for it that uh i know a lot of people like you know, freak out about when they suddenly kill somebody's favorite character. And that happened a lot in the show and it doesn't happen in the movie and that sort of thing. What I liked about the ending of the actual show is that my favorite character, who is not like anyone else's favorite character, um, finally like gets her due. And that's Lady Edith. I like her the, mo- her the most. So you're not alone in that. What's that? You're not alone in that. Okay. Yeah, she was my favorite, and it was nice that she finally, like, got something she wanted, so. Um, I watched that first episode of Perry Mason, uh, 
Um, man, is that weird compared to the original show. Uh, but in a good way, I like it. It's just like, you know, Perry Mason saying fuck a lot and ultra violence and like, like, wow. Okay. Like if they redid, uh, uh, Mayberry by Quentin Tarantino or something. It's like really (laughs) insane. Um, um, and I did watch the third season of killing Eve. I watched it in like two nights and, um, I was pretty worried about this show in the second season. I thought that it had kind of lost its magic and the third season did nothing to change my mind about that. It pretty much confirmed that no! it's, <laughs> it's not going to be a show I watch anymore. Um, I think the way the first season worked um, was tremendously helped by Phoebe Waller Bridges invo- invo- involvement in it. And since she's not part of season two or season three, the writing is not as sharp or clever. Um, The things that happen aren't that interesting or clever. It's just kind of a bunch of scenes. And like, I don't know, like Sandra Oh is like supposedly the lead of the series. I mean, she's the top build actor in the whole thing. Um, Her character is just a lost nothing no change no growth nothing happens to her in this season um they also make a big what i consider a big mistake which is you take a character that's really mysterious and interesting and then you you go back and tell their backstory and take all the mystery and interest out of it um the last time i remember that happening um to this extent with a character was on the show the good wife where they had this really clever, intelligent, badass female investigator at the law firm. And she was awesome for like four seasons. And then they decided to put her into uh, a love triangle on the show. It's like, no, we don't need to see what she does at home. Like she's awesome all by herself. We don't need to see that. And that actress sort of felt the same way and left the show like the next season because of it. So uh, I will not be watching Killing Eve season four. Um, I might read some synopsis and stuff like that just to see if something mildly interesting happens. But um, I didn't feel like the show even got off the ground this season until like the last two episodes. And then it was just another like Sherlock style cliffhanger. Like we may keep going. We may not. We may keep going. So, I will say your assessment of the season is fair. It was, did not hold my attention much as far as what was happening, but I'm just so mesmerized by Jodie Comer. I hope I'm saying her name right. I'm just, I just can't wait to see her scenes. She's just fantastic. Yeah, nobody involved in it, I think, is bad. I think it's the, the missing ingredient that was Phoebe Waller-Bridge's contribution to the first season is the problem. I think that's what's missing. Um, that was me. Uh, Nathan, Alicia, I'll let you guys do your your thing in your order. However, you <laughs> all right. Want well, it. I have no idea what Alicia will say, uh, or if I'm going to accidentally <laughs> take hers. Uh, but I will say, uh, among other things that we watched, like I, I actually sat and watched a couple of the. There's been a lot of documentaries of the Black Lives Matter movement happening, so I hit a couple of the uh, female biography ones. Uh, so I watched the Michelle Obama one, which I thought was interesting and good. It made me appreciate her quite a bit more than I already did, which I think was its goal. Um, but she's she's an incredibly uh, smart lady, and I enjoyed that. And then I watched the one on... Uh, Nina Simone. Nina Simone, sorry. Lost her name for a second. I, I, I get her mixed up with one of the other... Uh, lady singers from back jazz vocalist jazz vocalist sorry thought that was interesting I didn't know quite her whole backstory with uh, the civil rights movement and all that um, how she kind of took such a strong stance and was kind of a one of the fighting spirits of it honestly Uh, so that was kind of an interesting story Um, made made me enjoy her uh, at least that part of her career a little bit more maybe uh, but I think the one that, that I would say is probably the most worthy of talking about between Alicia and I is that we watched Star Trek V and Star Trek VI. 
Um, well, speak for yourself. I haven't talked yet, but you go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Which I, Star Trek Five for me is the one that just is the worst of the worst. I I think it's worse than even the not so great Next Generation iterations that happened towards the end of that stretch. Um, it's a bad script. It's got bad acting. It's it's got all everything. So it's kind of a hate watch for the, me, honestly. What? Sorry, which one is that? The Journey Home. No, that's the one after where they didn't have anything to do but go find God in the center of the universe. Okay. Yeah, um, five's the final frontier, I think. Five's the final frontier, which, by the way, was one that Alicia had actually on videotape at some point, so she'd seen it a million times, lucky her, but she had never seen Undiscovered Country, so I'm going to leave it to her to talk about what she thought about Undiscovered Country, uh, but that's personally one of my favorites. So I'm going to let her talk about that. I think I saw a, lot of a smattering of other things in the last week or two, but this is more important. <laughs> it's very important. So uh, I, I definitely liked Six better. Um, it was a, a bit better script, and, uh, you know, it's a little bit more fun of a conflict and everything with who is involved. So I like that uh Klingons 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 so it's just a Klingon party um I, I liked it I liked it Star Trek movies aren't my all-time favorite series but you know I wanted to go through them so we'd have some time I'd be like well let's throw in another Star Trek movie and watch that but what I actually want to spend more time talking about <laughs> is that we started the new season uh, the last season of Better Call Saul hmm. so I just started watching that on Amazon and I've been a big fan of that and a big fan of Breaking Bad all these years and you guys may have already been talking about this some uh, when I wasn't on but loving it so far only three episodes in always love it always want to go right to the next episode which with the streaming it's just seamless and it, the plot is just spilling right over into the beginning of the next episode, what we just saw at the end of the last one. So it's been really good. I can never have enough of Giancarlo Esposito. Mm -hmm. Want him all the time. So uh, loving it, loving Mike. Could watch it all day long. Yeah, I think that show is like the the best. And, and it has been all the way since back in Breaking Bad days of like showing how something happens and not necessarily telling you enough about so you know the whole story of what's going on but showing you the process of something putting a nice song on and doing the really great editing and you don't know why he's selling phones but he's selling phones or whatever it is uh that that just makes it a pleasure to watch every time yeah i think uh josh did you watch better call saul i saw the first season and i um, did yeah, I haven't seen any more, but I want okay. to because I'm a I big think Breaking Bad fan. Brooke and Zach and I are caught up on Better Call Saul. I, I mean, I know Brooke and I watched it week to week, and I think Zach either did or caught up week. at some point. Yeah, week to week. I love it. So, yeah, we talked about that Good a one. couple months ago. And this last season they did is, uh, yeah, it's great. Every season it gets better. It's just like Breaking Bad to me. It's just like it just continues to get better so here's, and better. Here's what's funny is, um, Nathan, there is an episode where you are talking about being uh, two seasons behind. So you were watching the prior season and you said, yeah. man, this prior this season is so slow. I wish something would happen. I don't know what they're doing. They're just spinning their wheels. It doesn't seem like anything's happening. And we were all just like, uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> just wait. Nothing to see here. They, they killed off a pretty major character in the season before that, so they kind of need to retool it a little bit. But, uh, yeah, it'll get yeah. there. Well, I was glad that he got all caught up so we could start watching season five. So it's been good. Awesome. Yeah, I actually think on a rewatch, I'd enjoy season four a little bit more the second time yeah, through. Yeah, I, I do uh, too. Just knowing where it was kind of going. Um, I mean, I could watch Mike Ehrman Trout all day long. You know, he's he's just, he's the reason I would go show up for the popcorn or whatever. Yeah. Josh, how about you? Uh, I saw um, In the Heat of the Night, um, movie from 1967. Um, I but just trying to kind of fill in the gaps of my uh, film education. So trying to watch older movies I missed. Um, that's a real who's who of, uh, hey, it's that guy from the 70s and 80s. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
but uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I I got interested in the fact that they turned it into a trilogy with Sidney Portier's character solving different crimes in different cities. So it's almost like Die Hard, but without the racial hatred component from the first one. Um, so I kind of want to see the other two movies in the series, but I also hear they're very, very bad. So I don't know. Um, yeah, I. But yeah, that was. I don't think I was yeah, even familiar sorry. with the movies. I've only. I, I just remember the TV show from the 90s or the 80s and 90s. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, my mom watches that uh, religiously, but with Carol O'Connor and right, Blair Underwood. No, I don't know. I don't know who the guy is. Howard now. Rollins, I think, is the the uh, Sidney Poitier. Uh yeah, I've never. Yeah, I don't. I don't know who that is. So, anyway, but that's a really good movie, and it's a good mystery, like it's an actual mis- murder mystery. But also a big, you know, racial drama also at the same time. So I was very impressed they pulled off both of those things equally well. Uh, Zach, how about you? Uh, I uh, Since I went so heavy on the movies last time, I stayed away from movies and stayed with TV this time. Um, so we started uh, Twilight Zone season three, or sorry, season two. Jeez. Um, the, it just came out on CBS All Access. Um, and really enjoying it. I really enjoyed the first season. Uh, I had to like go back and kind of look at the titles of some and the thumbnails of some of the first season ones though, to like remember some of the stories. But then I saw that they feature, um, the first season in black and white. And so now I'm kind of inclined to go back and watch the first season again in black and white. I think that would be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have, uh, a friend who is an executive producer and writer, of season two he was executive producer and i think he may have written on season one as well but he's a he works at monkey paul with jordan peele um and so it's just really cool to see uh stuff from him and uh he wrote episode three which we just watched recently it was really good it was it was fun um so that was that's really great i i enjoy this reinvention not really reinvention but just like this new take on twilight zone through um the the guys at monkey paul through jordan peele's uh production company um, so I hope they get to continue to make more of these because it's like in lieu of Black Mirror, we get Twilight Zone. I'm like, okay, great, I'll take one or the other. Yeah, uh, except there's yeah. CBS is a hard CBS All Access is a hard sell for a lot of people. Yeah, for sure, I, I can see that. We we were like, let's just do the seven days and breeze through it and then get rid of it. You know, like free trial stuff. But um, I think we're gonna keep it for a month and watch a few other things and then get rid of it again. So we kind of go back and forth with CBS. Um, not a platform that I really care to watch a whole lot on. So, yeah, when their when their big thing was Star Trek Discovery, the joke was that CBS All Access was their slogan was boldly go where no one has gone before. <laughs> yeah, they they were really pushing that hard. The uh, Discovery, it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, not not I'm not I'm not interested. <laughs> Just not. We all know my take on Star Trek, uh, which is pretty much none. Um, hopped onto some Holy Moly season two on Hulu. Um, it's just fun and stupid and everybody just gets wet or, you know, like they fall into like water traps. It's, it's silly. And I love the guy's commentary. Um, especially cause it's a lot of it's improvised and, um, they've, and it's this second season is even more nuts. Plus they didn't finish some of the filming. So they've, they've like, uh, done cartoons instead so like Steph, Steph Curry is like cartooned in because he didn't get the chance to film because of the the pandemic stuff I'm like yeah why not like have fun with your s- silly show and like don't hold on to it for so long like some pl- like they're still they haven't released the season finale of The Walking Dead because they haven't been able to finish doing the effects on it and you're just like get over it already <laughs> let's get that finale yeah, just put out just the screenplay out that's enough <laughs> that's it that's all I need um, uh, I finished watching The Great, and I gotta say, I was not a big fan at the beginning, but I finished a fan. It really it it got me by the end, and I was enjoying the last few episodes. I think right around the middle is when I felt it really start to pick up, and by the end, um, Elle Fanning's performance is just awesome. She just she just does such a great job with it. Um, 
and it ends on a i'm not gonna have to talk about it you know what just if you're interested watch it I, I brooke did you get through it i have not caught back up i only made it through the first couple episodes eventually yeah. i'll get through it good to know it's all worth a watch yeah, yeah. Those the like somewhere around the middle, it just really starts to pick up steam, and by the end, especially the last couple episodes, oh, so it's so good. It really is really good. It, it ends really well in the first season. And I liked um, what I watched of it. Good. Yeah, yeah. I hope more people get into it because I'd like to see a second season. Um. Uh. This is my like uh sort of in the middle uh. British baking show like I can't I don't really I don't not not care for the British baking show but like I just don't like I'm not big on baking so there's this new show on Netflix called Crazy Delicious and it's basically like Willy Wonka meets British baking show where they can take anything from around them and it's all edible like the flora the the table the anything's edible and they create these really cool dishes and like one guy made like chicken drumsticks out of mushrooms and i was really impressed by that um so it's fun to like i don't know that's like my my middle ground with like cooking shows that are stylized in the great british british baking style um because i feel like there's a lot of shows that are starting to copy that style a little bit you know um What's the other one that's on Netflix? It's like the flower one where they all build like fl- big flower topiaries oh, the big and stuff. Fla- the big flower fight. Yeah, and it's but it's very yeah. much like the Great British Baking Show, right? Like they like it's all stylized like that. And I just like I don't know, maybe it's just me. I love British stuff, but I can't for the life of me get into that. <laughs> <laughs> no, the flower uh, show I did try to watch. I couldn't. It wasn't that interesting to watch a flower yeah. show either. So. But one of the hosts on that one is the... Um, Flowers, I mean. The, uh, yeah. Uh, it's just the woman who plays Nadia on um, uh, What We Do in the Shadows. And so she's. it's kind of fun to see her just in her normal British accent uh, being herself, which is fun, on the flower show. Um, and then uh, these, these last two are going to be very quite the opposites. So the first one is Self Made. On Netflix, which is the uh, story of CJ, Madam CJ Walker. Um, it's a four part uh, show, and it's, I think it's really good. Uh, it's really an interesting story that I think needs to be kind of you know, told and put out there, and I'm glad they did it. Um, uh, it's, um, what's her name? Octavia Spencer, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, and she she plays Madam C.J. Walker. Story I was very unfamiliar with, and I'm really glad that I got a chance to see it, and I think it was really well done. Probably one of the only things I like Tiffany Haddish in so far. I'm not a big Tiffany Haddish fan, but I think she was really good in this. Um, so I really enjoyed watching that and uh, learning more about that history. Uh, and then on the complete opposite side of that, I watched. Uh, I'm still watching, actually. I'm only halfway through Alt-Right. Hmm. Uh, which is an odd documentary about the alt-right and it's fucking awful. It, it, I just, it's like, like it's insane. Like, I mean, the documentary is well-crafted, but the content is horrifying. And I'm just like, ah, it hurts. It hurts my brain. It hurts my, everything in my, that's good about the world to like watch it. But I'm like, I need to know the enemy. I need to know what their (laughs) thought process is so that I can dissect it and take it down and like dismantle it. Cause it's so like the, the guy who's the, I can't even talk about it. It's just, it upsets me so much. Um, I would I would only recommend watching it if you want to like get an idea of what's going on with that stuff if you're not familiar with it like the 4chan and the 8chan and like I learned about the 88 thing the other day I had never heard of this whole like 88 yeah. thing you guys heard about know about that Yeah um, I watched Sons of Anarchy yeah, I never <laughs> I'd never known you know so <laughs> I think it's good to inf- <laughs> yeah that's a, I can imagine why it would be on there um, You're a tattoo guy you I should know what 88 inf- is I know I should, but I don't. Like I just, I got to keep learning, Dale. Um, uh, it's a, it's always you, a process. You might enjoy. Uh, there's a series on. It's a bunch of places. I think it's on Hulu and Netflix uh, called uh, "Hate Thy Neighbor." You ever? I've heard of it. It's basically a guy who goes on tour and interviews members of like the most controversial groups that he can 
And the first episode, uh, he goes to meet with members of the national nationalist socialist movement, which mm. is like the largest neo-Nazi group in the U.S. Yeah, it's I'll have to check that same out. kind of thing. It's it kind of reminds me of uh, the Sasha Baron Cohen "This Is America" show, mm-hmm. um, but it's it's not quite as like. It like it's funny in places, but it's not like going for the joke. And the guy that hosts it is like, I don't think he is Muslim, but he's I think he's from that background and he's a British guy. So just him being in that environment is really weird. And that lends mm. itself to some of the the comedy of it. Yeah. But there was a show on Vice that was kind of similar to that. I think that Hate Thy Neighbor. That's like, why there was a guy yeah, that's who where it came go, from. His Vice. Okay, then I have seen some of it. I saw it did sound familiar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've seen a few episodes of that. Well, Ugh. definitely got to be in the right mind space for that. Zach one. Zach suggested a movie. <laughs> yeah. We all watched it. Uh, it's called Colossal. I thought I had seen it before. I had not. I had seen the first couple minutes before and bailed. Um, had anyone else seen the movie before? I, I had. had. Alicia, let's start with you. What did you think of Colossal? Um, I thought it was kind of tough to get through. I uh, had a few moments where I started to get a little interested in it, and then something would happen, and I'd kind of be like, oh, yeah. i start questioning things in my head, and I would start... Uh, asking Nathan questions. What do you think? Is this what's happening? And then, I, you know, he had seen it before, so he didn't want to say anything. He couldn't, you know, hypothesize with me. And then, uh, basically, I had to come to the uh, to the comfortable zone that there's a lot of questions that don't get answered because it's just all batshit crazy anyway. So it really doesn't, you know, it doesn't really have an explanation in a lot of ways for a lot of things. And even though that's kind of the point for a lot of it, even the little, it was the minutia stuff that didn't add up that kind of got on my nerves, the relationship between the friends, what happens with them, where people go, um, you know, physics, I had physics problems with it, uh, with stuff that was happening in Korea and, and back in the States. Uh, it was it was messy. It was kind of messy, but it was definitely um, something I probably wouldn't have watched otherwise. It's like those books in English class sometimes where it was good that I read it, you know, or it was good that I watched it. Made me think a little bit. It was kind of a, I enjoyed seeing Anne Hathaway in something a little bit different. I think she's really the last few years been trying to do a lot of different things. Um, but yeah, overall, I wasn't really a big fan of it. Okay. I'm just going to, before I move on, I'm going to say what you just said represents about two thirds of the IMDb reviews of this movie. Oh, really? (laughs) And I think that's what made me stop watching it um, was that, but then I watched it and had a completely different experience. And I think there is more to this movie than, than that, but we'll get there. Um, Brooke, you also had not seen it before. I had not seen it. What did it. you think of I it? I had not seen it. I liked it, and then sometimes I didn't like it. And then looking back after it was over, I overall positive. Um, you know, it's just kind of like two different movies fit together. But it's one of those films that kind of on reflection, you realize kind of what's happening a little bit more. Um, you know, how, how do you make an original monster movie? How do you make an original addiction movie? Because it, at its core, it's an addiction movie. Um uh, very heavy-handed I think in that metaphor but um, you know it was took some pretty unoriginal concepts and made them original Uh, I agree there were some things that didn't quite make sense of course but it's you know still a a monster and a robot fighting Um, but (laughs) I I liked it Uh, of course the first half had some fun stuff to it and then suddenly it gets really dark uh, but then you kind of piece together what's happening and, you know, um, get the metaphor of what's, what's being, being said. I thought it was okay. Uh, I'm not generally an Anne Hathaway fan. I thought she was fine in it. I always like Jason Sudeikis. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I was 
I had a pretty positive uh, reaction to it. I, I would I would say I liked it. Okay, I'm going to throw another interjection in. Okay. <laughs> when and do you remember why did you stop liking Anne Hathaway? In general? In general. <laughs> uh, I feel like it was around the time of Les Mis, when she did Les Mis. I don't... Okay. Like, you mean, yeah, as a person? Yeah, like, chronologically, <laughs> like, like, when did she as an actor start, I, like, either bothering you or make you not want to see movies with her in it? That's, that, I mean, she was good in that, but it was after that period that I started to find her a little bit annoying. Because I think... Maybe a little too... A lot of people oh, did that. I think there was this weird period yeah. where, and I still haven't figured out what the reason is or what the timing is, but there was definitely a period, and I don't know if it's over, that people just started not liking Anne Hathaway. Yeah, no, I think that's true. I was thinking about that, actually, though, when I was watching it, and I'm like, why do I not like her? I did have that thought, and I, I can't really pinpoint what it is. I don't feel like she is the most... I mean, she's she's a fine actor, but I... I feel like she kind of does the same things. And I think that's part of it too. Yeah. I don't feel like she does anything that's particularly different. No matter what scenario you put her in, she's basically the same. Mm-hmm. All right, Josh, how about you? That's the best I can come to. <laughs> um, all right, so I was a big fan of Nacho Vigalando, the director. Um, he did Time Crimes. Has anybody seen that? No. Uh, no okay it's a really good sci-fi movie from spain and then um he had a good uh horror segment in one of those dhs uh anthology movies um so i was really psyched for his uh, english language debut kind of uh feature um and yeah it uh takes a really dark turn halfway through and um watching it a second time I paid really close attention to Jason Sudeikis's performance yep. to see, yeah, like um, if there's clues. Because the first time, yeah, exactly. Like, where were the red flags? Because the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, he's very charming and very sociable, and then he just turns into a total asshole at some point. Uh, but then I went this time watching it, I was like, nope, nope, he was an asshole right from the very beginning, and I didn't catch it. Um, so I thought that was interesting kind of like going back to see a movie with a twist and watching someone's performance in an entirely different way like helena bottom carter and fight club or something um yeah. yeah so i really appreciated his work the second time through um i wasn't like i think i came for the kaiju versus robot or whatever but uh i was much more interested in the um you know someone trying to break that cycle of abusive relationships and self-abuse through addiction like Brooke was talking about. Um, So it's got flaws for sure, but I think I'm a fan of it overall. Okay. Nathan? Um, I don't have a lot of nice things to say about this movie. Um, I pretty much hated it after I finished. What's that now? That's allowed. (laughs) Okay. Well, I, so I saw this in the theater expecting it to be at least clever or cute i'm not sure i mean i don't remember the trailer for this one to be honest with you and i don't remember why it maybe led me down a path but obviously it's got a tonal issue let me interject (laughs) (laughs) all right the trailer is a big problem with this movie um the trailer is a trailer for a rom-com and this is not a rom-com so a lot of people yeah, saw this I, movie and got something else and weren't happy about it. Well, and quite frankly, I mean, yeah, I know it's an addiction story. Yeah, I know it's also a sci-fi story. I don't think it works on any level. Uh, I think they all kind of fight with each other and disingenuize each other, if you will, because they're. I, I think it would have been way better if they just focused on one. And quite frankly, the one thing that makes it completely crumble for me is Jason Sudeikis' acting. I, I, I don't like it. I don't believe it. Um, he just plays himself, basically, and then he switches on a switch and he plays an evil version of himself. And it doesn't work for me. Um, I like Anne Hathaway in it because I generally like... I, I have never been on the hate Anne Hathaway train. I've always liked Anne Hathaway all the way back to Princess Diaries. 
I don't think she's amazing, but I do like her. Uh, and I, I, the guy that's in um, all, all the Coen Brothers movies, I enjoyed seeing him in it, but there's nothing in this movie to justify either of the two. Uh, I just kind of feel like it's really just, I'd rather go watch something that's really truly about addiction. Um, Days of Wine and Roses or something like that, that, you know, is a much better film. This is this was a waste, a colossal waste of my time twice in a row. So. Ooh, burn. <laughs> yeah, Tim Blake Nelson is the actor you're talking about. That's the guy. Yeah. He's good in everything. I mean, yeah, he's just fun to watch. But what happened to him at the end? Did I miss it? No, he, he just like he disappears of- after they. Mm. He just disappears. After Sudeikis yeah. calls him out for doing coke, he's not back in the yeah. movie. I know. I was kind of disappointed. I wanted to see him again sometime. I mean, we see the guy she slept with who I think kind of had zero personality. He, uh, We kept seeing him at the bar watching the news and everything like that. And I'm like, well, where's Tim Blake Nelson? I want to see what he's doing. I want to see what he's watching. I want to see what he's snorting. Like, I want to see what's happening with him. I'm going to break tradition. And I'm going to let Zach go first before me, even though he <laughs> suggested it. Because he hasn't seen it and I... <laughs> I have stuff to say. So, Zach, please, what did you think of Colossal? Well, well, first of all, I'm very excited to hear what you have to say, Dale, because I think we have the same sentiments on this one. Um, maybe. We'll see. Here's what I thought. I loved it. I I thought it was really fun. I, I had that same expectation. I remember the trailer being something more of like a rom-com thing. And then I was like, I'm going to go see that in the theater. And then I never did. And then I started looking into more of like the Legion M stuff. And I was like, they're really doing something that's a little different in terms of a production studio. Uh, I've never been a non-Anne Hathaway fan. I've always really enjoyed her stuff. However, I'm not a big Jason Sudeikis fan because I've met him a number of times. And I can tell you, evil Jason Sudeikis is true Jason Sudeikis. Um, <laughs> Whoa. Uh, he is an asshole uh, through and through. Uh, so that really hit home for me. Uh, him being a nice guy was like, that's a put on motherfucker. Um, so in, ter- in terms of the actual film itself, um, I just had a lot of fun with it. I didn't I didn't take it too seriously. I, I know that there is some serious themes in there. Um, I love the kaiju stuff, which is really what brought me to it. Um, I just that's I love that stuff, uh, and and I thought that was a fun mix of of like normals into the normalcy or the normal world. Um, yeah, there's there's some trouble spots I think you know potentially in in terms of dialogue or story, um, but like I laughed and I ha- I had emotions, and by the end I was super excited about the ending, and I was like also I was watching it with my wife because I thought this was one she might enjoy. And uh, and so she made a couple of predictions, and I was like, you know what we should do? We should have our own podcast where we watch movies and you make predictions, and I ca- call you on them in the end because it's like because uh, she's she's pretty good about calling movies and stories and plots most of the time, but she got it dead wrong this time. Um, but I love that. I was I I didn't even know what to predict, and I think that like when I can't predict it and my wife can't predict it. In terms of us being sort of like you know really into media and and working in uh, you know comedy and things that we do, um, it's just fun to f- to see that kind of stuff. I can see where the, uh, other people are not so inclined to like this film um, in terms of just taste, um, and and that's fo- that's fine. You know, I mean, I don't think it was necessarily made for everyone. I think that there was definitely like a kind of a select audience in terms of uh, where the film went. Um, but um, yeah, I'm I'm glad that i finally got a chance to sit down and watch it i would say i would definitely watch this again if ever it was just like yeah let's watch it again or show it to someone who's never seen it or interested um i think that it was it was a fun enough film in certain ways but also um had a a good message about addiction in other ways and toxic relationships all that stuff i i don't know i just i really enjoyed it so i'm curious uh one did your wife like it Yes, she enjoyed it. And two, what was her like biggest uh, failed prediction? Um. Oh my God, the first one I think was it had something to do with uh, Did she Anne Hathaway and Jason Sudeikis's. Yeah, yeah. So she thought that they would end up getting together, 
basically she thought it was rom-com ending for you know or whatever mm-hmm. but then i love i love this because so this was actually i thought an interesting prediction she thought that the only way for her to be able to control jason sudeikis's behavior in the playground would have been to marry him and stay with him <laughs> to control him from going into the playground and I was like, that's an interesting take on the story. That is not what happened. And I I loved that that's not what happened. That would have been so depressing. Mm. Yeah, right? Nope, she just threw him away. It was so depressing <laughs> anyway. I fuck. I loved that, that moment. Just, woo! And then you go, oh shit, she really threw a human like <laughs> thousands of yards. <laughs> yeah, it was... That was not a small throw. He is definitely not walking that off. Okay. Nah. All right. I've I've teased this long enough. So um, <laughs> I watched the movie. Like I said, I, I thought I had watched it before. I didn't. I watched the first two or three minutes of it. Um, she was like just out of New York when I quit the last time. And I think what happened was I, I watched the first few minutes of it. I didn't think it was particularly funny. Um, I thought it was going to be like, uh, uh, what's the Greta Gerwig movie where she just sort of couch surfs through New York? Francis Ha. Yeah. I thought it was going to be like that. And I was like, I really can't with that style of movie right now. Um, but then I also checked the IMDB reviews and like all the ones that had spoiler warnings in it. The title was like, not what you think it's going to be. This totally sucks. It doesn't work you know, full of plot holes. It's all messed up. It's all broken. Okay. So I, I stopped watching it. So when Zach assigned it, I was like, great, I'm going to have to watch this again, knowing that I don't like it, (laughs) but at least I'll have some fun stuff to talk about, about why I don't like it and rewatching it or actually watching it. Um, it was about the time that she first, it's before she gets to the playground for the first time where um, she has, I think she like put the air mattress on the floor and fell asleep on the wall and then sort of gets up and like stumbles her way down to the the playground. And I'm watching it and I start doing this thing in my head where I'm like, okay, who could make this scene funnier? Like, does this need like more of a comic lead? Like, does this need to be like... Uh, Christina Applegate or something for me to find this funny. Like, does there need to be more layers to this comedy? And then I had this breakthrough that was just take it at face value. Don't worry about it being funny. Just watch it. Watch it as a story and stop trying to make Anne Hathaway into something that she's not. Like, okay. So I start really sort of paying attention to sort of the themes and the subtleties and those sorts of things rather than what's overtly going on. And some stuff is really on the nose um, to the point that like, it's so on the nose that people that like it goes over people's heads. They don't even think to make that connection. But um, the movie is about alcoholism and the uh, the monsters are stand-ins for um, different kinds of alcoholics. So when it's her dazed and confused at the beginning, it's when she's like when she drinks herself blackout drunk for the first like third of the movie. That's what the monster is. And then when it changes, it's when we realize that. Jason Sudeikis is an abusive alcoholic and all the things he's doing both in and out of the playground are that they're not telling you outright. This is what happens, but there's the scene where the, uh, the nice looking guy shows up with an entire truckload of, of furniture for her house as the apology for what he did before which is classic abusive alcoholic move. Like I did this terrible thing and this is how I'm, I'm way overdoing the uh, apology for it. 
and it 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 doesn't make sense and it's out of nowhere and it doesn't it it's just weird and then when she sleeps with the nice looking guy that's when he goes full asshole mode he he doesn't pretend to be nice anymore he goes raging alcoholic he he does that act of destruction where he blows up the fireworks in the bar and then um she threatens to leave him and he says well if you leave i'm gonna go trash korea every night until you come back and so then they have that final showdown where she actually goes to korea and she goes and stops him by picking him up and throwing him out now (laughs) the playground is her soul As in S O U L. That's why it affects Seoul, Seoul, Seoul Korea. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. when she's they, they, blackout they drunk, they do mention that at some point. When she's blackout drunk, she is damaging her own soul. And then when Sudeikis becomes abusive to her, he's destroying her soul, and she ultimately has to throw him out of it. And um, I will now take any of your questions. i do recall there was there was some talk about like soul and soul i remember distinctly like hearing a little bit it's very minute but it's there is something there and i was like there's an interesting connection to the soul thing right so uh, that makes sense for me we had basically the same exact perception of the movie i mean what i was saying and what i was seeing i i didn't consider the soul thing but it does make sense but that was exactly how i saw it and the thing that made the movie you know um that when i'm going okay how much is this a good movie is it not that movie stuck with me today for some reason it it kept coming back into my mind and i don't know why i don't know if it was those themes but i thought it was you know it, it was just so the way they played on addiction alcoholism and as you put it so perfectly the the different types of alcoholism the different types of alcoholics and the abuse that stems from it it really had kind of that an an emotional heft that was unexpected which i think is why it has stayed with me today i've kind of thought back over that back half when it you know when it was happening i'm like i don't think i like this but then i had that moment where i went okay i know what this is this is all coming together and piecing together and it made it a completely different reaction, a completely different movie. Yeah, and I thought when I started it, too, like, this is an hour and 50 minutes? Like, how are they going to stretch a comedy, you know, whatever the the motivation of it is, but how are they going to stretch a comedy to this length? And where I felt the movie naturally ending as a comedy was at 80 minutes. So there was still half an hour left. And I'm like, how are they going to make this last another half hour? And that's when he says to her, um, if you go every night, you're gone. I'm going to come back here and do this. And he smashes all the buildings. And so that sets up the last I actually half hour put of the in movie. My notes, my turning point was when he was trying to force her to drink the beer yeah. was when it hit dark for me. Cause I'm like, she has his fighting this addiction and she has turned this corner and there's that abusive alcoholic type yeah. reigning control and force. And yeah, that was my turning point where I thought, okay, this was a fun movie. Now this isn't a fun movie. Yeah. And then her face, and then as I kind of processed it. Yeah. Her face at the end know. is the same kind of thing. It's like, you want a drink? It's like, <laughs> she just sort of turns her head like, uh, well, yeah, kind of, and that's the problem. Um. <laughs> yeah. The uh, but I will say the betrayal of I think alcoholism is. Uh, I mean, like the the actions are there, but the betrayal, like they drink so much and then act like they aren't even drunk. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, Jason Sudeikis is of the better part of a Jack Daniels bottle in when he's forcing her <laughs> to drink that PBR. And he's just a normal dude. And then he kind of acts a little drunk when he goes out to his truck. I can't even drink four vodkas and walk straight. I mean, it's just like insane the way that like, of course, it's movie making. And like, that's how they have to portray it in terms of like acting or whatever to not make them seem like um, barfly drunk. Like (laughs) watching Mickey Rourke portray barfly drunk as opposed to their drunk is just totally different. 
Um, but like, yeah, I think it, like I could feel that turning point too around the two, the same times you both were referring to, and uh, and it gives me chills. It like the the confrontation in the playground where he pushes her down. Yeah, I I got mad. I got real mad. I was just like, "Fuck this guy!" Like and like, but that's there's people out there like that. Yeah. They're the worse, even you know. And there's Ugh. people that come yeah, back that after tough. that. Yeah, like that, and that's kind of what they were trying to trying to talk about. But yeah, yeah, I I like that you referenced him having the truckload of stuff brought to her because that I was like, that's not a good sign, you know. I mean, <laughs> just all the subtle things of that type of personality and that type of relationship. Uh, I I just thought it was pretty smartly played, um, but 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 subtle, you know. Some of the metaphors, as I said earlier in my my piece was you know some of them were pretty heavy once you realize they're there but a lot of it was just those subtle pieces and the way he would gaslight her yeah. and manipulate her and and then you realize this is a pattern and it's it's a history i mean it's very slick i kept waiting too for um dan stevens to suddenly become part of it somehow mm. and he really doesn't um other than the fact that um, he's kind. He kind of represents a codependent alcoholic, in that he's just let her live with him for a year, and she just has her friends over and drinks all day. And I don't know how much awareness he had of that, but um, that's probably what they were going for with him was that he was a codependent. Well, I feel like with Dan Stevens in the whole movie, beyond the alcohol thing too, I think it speaks to a lot of um, types of how males interact with females in terms of uh yeah like dan dan stevens was like a watered down version of sudeikis but he had that anger in him like sudeikis had and i could see that coming out more if she had stuck with him more um the other thing was the cowardice of joel to not stand up for her at all or you know intervene when his friend is doing something horrible to i mean killing people or but that's real away. too yeah, that's real too exactly because right, right. yeah yeah um also i'd just like to point out he was in a bar at 805 in the morning <laughs> watching that final <laughs> yeah. fight just wanted to say uh <laughs> i don't know where that oh, yeah, was i guess we didn't call it a question his alcoholism exactly. <laughs> he's at the bar at 805 with the with the group Right, and then Tim Blake Nelson was like the matcha, like he wants to get attention, but he's kind of a beta male sort of thing, so he's got to rely on these, you know, well, he's also, teabag tricks. His addiction <laughs> is to something illegal. Right. And as soon as they point that out, he's out of the movie. Right. It's like that's the yeah. ultimate shutdown of him, and like he's the voice of reason in that scene. He's the one being like, mm -hmm. dude, don't fucking do that. Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, you know, you're a junkie and all that, so. Right. Well, well, and yeah, I think it was intentional for that reason that he didn't come back, because that is that, you know, the the classic picture of how somebody who is an abusive addict is going to push people away, and then they just eventually don't come back. That felt very intentional yeah. to me. A lot of silence and stern looks from uh, Nathan and Alicia there. <laughs> Well, I, you know, a lot of what you guys are talking about and, uh, Dale, what you're talking about, I, I don't think it was that veiled of a metaphor through the movie. I think we both got those metaphors. We just didn't necessarily buy into everything in the structure of the movie and get a lot of uh, satisfaction and entertainment from it, at least from my point of view. So I don't think any of those are really huge revelations. Um, and I understand you know, why you guys appreciate a lot of that. And I see the the um, the structure of the movie and, and, you know, how they're kind of looking at that issue in a little bit different way. But I feel like I've seen a lot of movies about that issue, and I don't feel like this was one of the better ones for me. Ditto. Yeah. I, I, I don't feel like there was, like, a curtain to pull at all. I, I Okay, soul, so I, okay, soul. I'll, I'll give you that. But <laughs> So, yeah, but I mean... Wow. Wow. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, I'm going to go back to the stupid-ass premise of the robot and the monster had no business 
in this really tragic story about these two people and to try to play it off like it was going to be a comedy at any step of the way. And I don't think Jason Sudeikis was as good enough as an actor to bring the gravitas to the role that it needed to make it worthy of watching. That's my feeling. Yeah, and I mean, you've got the phrase people wrestle with their monsters is basically they took that and made it a movie. Oh, that's a that's an interesting phrase. Why don't we actually have the monsters wrestling? How about that? So you know, I but I I like how they tried to do stuff. I guess it just it just didn't do it for me. You know, it just wasn't. Uh, I think I was looking for something maybe a little bit smarter with fewer, uh, you know, holes in the seams. I guess. I mean, maybe in defter hands from the director or Jason Sudeikis, maybe it would have played a little better for me, but. Honestly, it just, the two genres did not match for me at all. I'm sorry. Yeah, I think the casting was intentionally against type. Um, I think they intentionally cast Anne Hathaway um, against type and Jason Sudeikis against it. And I was, I mean, I was reasonably terrified for, by his character. So I, I think he was successful at least that far. Well, it sounds like that's pretty easy for him, according to Zach. Well, I mean, I think that the tone <laughs> problems with the movie playing a character? are That's why right. there's problems with the advertising for the movie. I mean, we talked about how the trailer doesn't match the movie at all. I think it's because they watched the movie and they were like, we don't know what the fuck to do with this or how to sell it because it ain't fun to watch. Okay, let's pretend it is and try to make it that way. And I think what, this, what they did with the trailer was they tried to make a Jason Sudeikis Anne Hathaway rom-com trailer because they could get by, try and get by on those names, and they should have marketed it more towards, I don't know, like the art house crowd, the the people that watch movies that have more than one thing going on at a time. That does raise an interesting question. How do you make a trailer for a movie like this that yeah, kind of really defies any kind of genre. like how? Yeah. I don't know how you would. Um, there's, uh, there were some suggestions I found online that other people said, um, but they were all mostly movies that I didn't know. So th- that's a good indication of, of how unpopular this would have been if they had marketed it that way. Um, there was somebody that called it uh, Jenny Darko. <laughs> so, I there. mean, part of the problem is that okay, there's all these heavy issues happening about the alcoholism, and then all the comedy is supposed to be kind of in the whole monster movie thing. But the problem is is that like all the consequences that went along with actually killing people in Korea, it was all completely without any weight whatsoever. It, was, it wasn't treated in such a way where anybody was... I mean, Anne tried in a couple of scenes to make it feel like she was, but let's be honest, she wasn't. I mean... I, it, it just doesn't work. It, the, I think if it had been done a little bit differently, the tone would have been pro- appropriate for, as a match, and it didn't work that way the way they did it. But it, the movie's not about human carnage in Korea. Then why make it about that? It's, it, doesn't, it didn't need that, because they uh, certainly made it about that. <laughs> I, I get it. But no, I mean, even it if specifically it does Dale, Dale, even if it isn't about carnage in Korea, it should have the consequences of their being drunk and doing stupid shit should have still had weight. Even if it wasn't specifically because eight, ten people died, you don't have to know about those people that died, whatever. But there wasn't any weight given to the fact that they had consequences for what they were doing. Okay, so if they, if they. If they have, if they take this movie and they make the deaths of people in Seoul literal, where they're actually killing people and that that has a has a depth and a consequence to it, then it's like there's like this weird disaster movie that's going on alongside of everything else, because they do it the way they do it, and see this is another. This is another thing that I think the movie's trying to accomplish is that the carnage and the destruction of alcoholism is not something that people see or care about or get invested in. What the movie is doing is 
it's making all of this carnage happen on the other side of the world. And for the most part, the reactions we're seeing are people in the United States watching it on the news and saying, oh my God, can you believe that that happened? And then you can hear them from their houses when they're fighting, like cheering on the Anne Hathaway monster and that sort of thing. So I think if they made, I think the consequences are done as a metaphor instead of literal because society doesn't pay attention to the actual consequences of alcoholism in that way. And so they blow it up to this huge proportion so that it's obvious. There's obvious damage being done here. There's obvious destruction being done here. But if there's consequences of that destruction outside of what's happening to our main characters, that takes away from what they're trying to say. Okay, I'll, I'll buy where you're going with that, but I don't think they accomplished it. And fair enough. I just, yeah, I don't think yeah. the solution is that, uh, that, you know, we should have felt bad for the people in Korea that were dying. Um, that part, they, I mean, they very, very carefully kept that tone from ever getting, being more than just, you know, Godzilla popcorn stuff. Yeah, I, I could see how the use of metaphor in a lot of ways in this film can be either misconstrued or hit or miss for people. So I'm I'm understanding of that, you know, and I think that like even trying to like, Dale, what you said earlier, just take it at face value and then sort of try to assess it later, you know, like that's kind of the approach that I took to it as well, where I was just like, let me just watch this and kind of see how I feel by the end of it. And I definitely had emotions more so than I had with maybe some of the other films that we've watched thus far or other films that I watch in general, you know, maybe not necessarily with the same weight in terms of what they're trying to address, but I definitely think that like, you know, every filmmaker has a different approach to metaphor and that's tough for a lot of filmmakers to approach because it's film yeah. and it can be interpreted in so many ways. Yeah, I think <laughs> I, I, what happened for me is when I gave up on, on trying to figure out who would be funnier in Anne Hathaway's role, I also just gave up on it being a comedy in general. And once it wasn't a comedy, then it was pretty... It was it was pretty straightforward. What they were doing was pretty straightforward. I wasn't you know waiting for the next joke or mm-hmm. hoping there was more Tim Blake Nelson in there to be funny or any of that kind of stuff. It was more oh I, I see. And then um, I think uh, I really didn't. It really didn't like click for me about the whole soul thing until that final fight. Um. And that final fight coming after um, the movie's explanation of why they uh, can turn into monsters in that place, which happens in that that like flashback that she has before she goes there, um, which I'm sure lots of people had problems with that too, like <laughs> and that this this silly reason is why that happens. But uh, they all had built miniature cities and. If you look close, her miniature city is Seoul, Korea. So, yeah. Well, and to talk about that real quick, I still, and maybe somebody else can fill me in on this that I don't know, but like the little kid, the little, little Jason Sudeikis, she lost the thing. The wind took the, the little diagram, the little diorama or whatever, and then the, he climbs over the fence and he seemingly, I guess maybe it's again metaphor in terms of this relationship we've seen as them as adults is like he seemingly is going to help her he's going to go get her thing for her and then they're trudging around in this you know vacant lot and whatnot and then all of a sudden out of nowhere he just destroys it he's a kid but like why did he just we never get that at least unless i miss something but like why why were they walking side by side seemingly being friends and I think the only thing I can really think of is because he addresses it at one point where he's like, I'm just as good as you now, right? Where he's mm. like, I'm just as notable as you are now. Like she always had some sort of like fame monster or something like she was always better than him. And he he's always resented her for that. And so that was his moment to destroy her as children. And now he's destroying her as adults too. But he was destroying it in secret. Yeah. And it, and it was like his... So his diorama survived and hers didn't. 
And I think his plan was to destroy yeah. it and come back and say, sorry, it was broken or I, I couldn't find it or here's what's left of it or whatever was going on there. He had some kind of a rivalry with her that was unspoken. And so she thought of him as a friend, mm -hmm. but he had some kind of a deep, deep seated hatred for her, which I don't know if we want to continue with the theme of alcoholism. Maybe it means that um, her parents were great. And one of her, his parents was an alcoholic. I don't know, but when she does make the comment about how he hates himself, you know, how he just he hates himself and that's his problem that he hates himself. So it's probably a deep rooted childhood hate. He's always hated himself for whatever reason. Um, yeah. So I think that was his he he hated himself because he wasn't who she was. And, you know, when well, his dad ran the bar before he did, you know, so that he might be right. imitating his dad's behavior a bit. Yeah. Also, in a not deep way, say you're a little boy and you see a, smash a model of Seoul, of Seoul, Korea, South Korea, <laughs> and you get a chance to be Godzilla for five minutes, you might take that chance, even if it's devoid of metaphor. But sure. people died yeah, on that diorama, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. It's it tempting. Hurts. It's very tempting. Um. Well... Uh, Aaron, it is your turn to suggest the movie. What would you like for us to watch? I figure I'll take it down a little bit, and everybody's probably already seen this, but it's one of my favorites. It's uh, Dolores Claiborne. Okay. I have not seen that. Yeah. Fantastic that. movie. Thanks, everybody, for participating and watching Colossal with us. Thanks, everyone out there, for listening to our discussion. We will see you on the next Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast. Mm -hmm.